0: This subject is a little, is, is uncomfortable for me to preach on. Why? Because it has something to do with it with the position that God has given me here at the gospel. But just because I have the position that the, the passage is talking about doesn't mean I shouldn't preach on it. Does that make sense to you? The Bible says in Timothy that the, the elders, those who handle the word of God and preach to you, should be given double honor. That's very hard for me to talk about. But they're also talked about as... as uh, uh, when they sin, they rebuke, it says, sin, uh, they the sin rebuke before all that others may fear. So with double honor comes double rebuke. So with, with responsibility comes accountability, amen? And so that, that part here, so you, you, but you've got to preach it all. You have to preach the whole counsel of God, front to back, side to side. And so Hebrews chapter 13, uh, the book of Hebrews is a doctrinal book for the first nine chapters, uh, maybe into chapter 10 some, it, it, it sets down truths of, of God as doctrinal teaching. Or from chapter, uh, really, uh, 10, 11, 12, 13, our application. And that, that is the pattern you see in the Bible. Romans chapter 1 through 8 are doctrine. Nothing really is asked of you, Uh, But in chapters 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16 is the application. Now because of these truths, this is the way you should act. Ephesians, six chapters. The first three chapters is a doctrinal chapters, teaching. Nothing really is asked of you in the first three chapters. Chapter 4, 5, and 6 are the application chapters. That is because of these first three chapters, these next three chapters, chapter 4, 5, and 6, this is what we want you to do and be because of what you know. So the building of what you know about God and the doctrine of God precedes the activity, the application part. And so we, we learn about God and that causes, then he says, because you know this, I want you to do this. That's the pattern uh, that that has. And, and similar, similarly, in chapter 13 here, is an application passage of the first nine verses. Uh, and into, into the 10th chapter of the book of Hebrews. Great, great truths. I'm teaching through this in my Sunday school class, my, adult, my older adult Sunday school class. Uh, and we will be meeting, by the way, next week in Mac Hall, and everybody else will go back to their normal classes and see how that works out. And so we're teaching the doctrinal part right now. I'm in chapter 1, but eventually we'll get to the application. So in this one I'm going to speak this morning is an is an application part for what you learned in, in the first nine, ten chapters of the book of, of, of Hebrews. So hopefully you will get it. It's for born again believers. It's because of what has been said. Here's what he says. So in, we're going to read in verse 7, 17, and, and in verse uh, 24 of the key passage, it's actually, verse 20 also. Let me just read them. It says, Remember them which have the rule over you who have spoken unto you the word of God. Who is that? That's your preachers, your pastors, your elders, your bishops, all the same office, whose faith follow considering the end of their conversation. And then verse 17, it says again, so it says remember them uh, in verse 7. It says obey them in verse 17. Obey them that rule over you. And submit yourselves, that's the third thing it asks of you, for they watch for your souls as they that must give an account. Now there's the accountability with the responsibility. So because of the responsibility they've been given, they've been given also a higher accountability. To whom much is given, much is required. That's just the way it works. And they may do it. Why would you do? Why would you obey them? Submit yourself to them? They watch because that they may do it with joy, and not with grief, which is unprofitable for you. And uh, in verse twenty-four, it simply says, "Salute those who have the rule over you." And and so I just wanted to point out in three places in the book, in the last chapter of the book of Hebrews, it talks about pastors having some sort of authority. Uh, in the local church. Why do they have the authority? And what benefit is that authority is what I want to talk about. Uh, Not just blind loyalty, not just blind authority, but authority based on principles. Now in verse 20 it says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, uh, through the blood of everlasting covenant, make you perfect, verse 21, every good work to his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So Jesus Christ is the first shepherd. He, he's the first uh, one and the, the one who purchased our salvation. Ultimately, our loyal, loyalty goes to him. Without Jesus, there's nothing. Without his sacrifice on the cross, fulfilling of the law of Moses, the giving of his life, been resurrected from the dead, as was God the Father's uh, simply approval that of all the ones that have said they're the Christ, He's the one. He's the Christ, the Son of the living God, as Peter said in Matthew 16. And so this is the one. Muhammad wasn't it. Uh, uh, None of the other people that have come up. David Koresh wasn't it. Jim Jones wasn't it. All these other guys that come up. Joseph Smith was not it. Rutherford was not it. Uh, And all these other, uh, uh, Madeline Murray O'Hare surely wasn't it. Well, that's for sure. And I can't remember the founder of the Seventh day Adventists. Where's Tom when I need him? Uh, Mary Eddie Baker White or something like that. I can't remember. But uh, she wasn't it because uh, uh, they, they had uh, perverted. And they have only one has been resurrected the Lord Jesus Christ, it has a seal upon him. He's the one. And so we follow him. So, as uncomfortable as it may be for me to preach on this, it is still part of the Bible. And it's a necessary spiritual development. Very, very necessary for your outcome and for my outcome. Because ultimately, I'm a member of a church. I've been a member of a local church uh, since I got born again, since I've been saved and been following on. I'll let you know a little bit more about that. So there are many vital truths in these few small verses here, truths that make the difference of whether you will do well or fail in the grace of God. Uh, Or whether at the judgment seat of Christ, you're going to be ashamed at His appearing, or you're going to be rejoicing at His appearing. Now, born-again believers, uh, once they get born from above, become children of God, cannot be unborn or unchildren. They're children of God. And as you know from families that you've observed, a, a family may have three or four children. Not every one of those children do right. But it doesn't make them not a child. Uh, you may have five kids, and one of those kids terms wants to be a uh, what they call a black sheep, or a rebel, or a renegade. Uh, raised by the same mom and dad, same home, same. But they just choose to do differently, and uh, they're still a child. And as born again believers, Hebrews chapter twelve talks about how as children we come up under a whole new system than the world before we were saved. So once you enter into the family of God, now you're a child of God, and now you're under his responsibility, his tutelage, and his discipline. And so he will discipline. He was not going to send you to hell because Jesus died for you, and you've been brought into the beloved. Your name and put in the Lamb's book of life. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses you from all sin. So you are saved. Does that make you cocky? Now you can go do what you want to do. Not if you're, well, let me say this. If you decide to do that, Hebrews chapter 12 will be enacted upon you. And if you read Hebrews chapter 12 some other time, that's the discipline part of being a Christian. And God will whoop you, as they say in the South, like you've never been whooped before. God will put you to through things you never dreamed about. But even worse than that, if you still rebel, you're going to die and eventually stand before him at his at the beam of seat of Christ, and you and all of you all you did in this thing called life will be judged under the light of God's of, of eyes and his word. And all of you, you did will be burned up. And the Bible says you will suffer loss. The word suffer there is to be suffer like the same word suffer as people suffer in hell. They're vexed. Because your eternal rewards will be burned up and gone. And you'll be saved, the Bible says, as by fire. I've had people stupidly tell me, well, it's okay just as long as you're saved. It won't be then. It won't be okay then. It won't be okay. Because you'll see that you had the ability to please God and to do His will and great and wonderful things, but you've lost all that. So it pays to serve God for sure. Or whether, whether you listen to these three verses that I read, and listen to the exhortation of of chapter 13 here, is whether you will uh, possibly make the difference to whether you're going to live a a trail of shame or a trail of glory. Whether your life's work uh, will be burnt up, like I mentioned, before your very eyes, or they'll come through the fire of the eternal witness and bless you for all time. So how big are the stakes? They're big. The stakes are big this morning. So these verses, uh, they they should not rub you wrong, uh, but they do rub people wrong. And I'll tell you why they rub people wrong. Because in the last 50 years, we've seen many preachers have fallen into adultery, embezzlement, theft, cons, schemes, and, and steal widows' fortunes and money. In other words, they're in it for the money. One preacher of the sub-mega church had two planes that he owned, and, and it made the news that he wanted to buy a third plane, a third uh, jet plane that was a little bigger and a little faster, and to the tune of like $20 million, and he was trying to justify that to the church. He already had two very expensive planes and one and a third. There's just no end for their lust. There's no end for how they'll pillage. Now, those people are not the people that, the, that this passage is telling you to submit yourself to. Those are not the people that this passage says, let them rule over you. Those are not the people who this passage says, remember them. No, no. No, those are false teachers, false, uh, false pastors, if I may put it that way, and those are not the ones he's talking about. But, many the, but why do people not have confidence in leadership? Well, because of what I just mentioned. Also because of the anti-authority movement. I, I was born in 1951, grew up in the 60s as a teenager, in what they call the, the uh, anti-authority movement. was started in the 60s, the hippies, rock and roll, hippies. Elvis Presley, really, 1953, 54, 55, started the whole thing, you know. And then it picked up with little Richie, you remember him? Uh, and then it picked up with other people, and uh, the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, uh, Jimi Hendrix, Led Zeppelin, and went on and on from there. Still going well today. But that whole group of people are just rebellious, period. They're rebellious in the way they look. They're rebellious in the way they talk. They're rebellious against authority. They're they're for sin and for evil and and, and against good, pretty much in righteous behavior. But that that spirit of anti-authority is strong now uh, as it was then. Uh, Also, there's been since then the women's liberation. Remember that? Women's lib, the devil's fib. Now, you girls don't get upset with me. But I have to say that Christian women have been influenced by the feminist movement. They've been influenced by it. It, it wants to creep in on you like a fungus. And it wants to, it wants to change your thinking. And you, you, may, you may think it's, it's, not, it's, it's liberated women, but it has really enslaved them. It has not liberated them. The ERA, remember that? Equal Rights Amendment, not a real estate company. Uh, it's the ERA, Equal Rights Amendment. I remember when they were going to add an amendment to the Constitution, you have to have 39 states, 36 states to approve of it, to amend the Constitution. I can't remember. But South Carolina was the last state they needed to enact what they call an, a, a, an amendment to the Constitution of the United States, the ERA Amendment. How many remember that am I out here? I, I feel like I'm alone here. Three people, four people, that's it. You don't pay attention to anything? Well, anyways, I lived in South Carolina, so we cared about it. We were out there recruiting people to vote against the ERA, and praise the Lord, God bless the people of South Carolina, the great state of South Carolina. They voted against it, and it failed. Now, what did that mean? The ERA meant that they didn't want men restrooms, women restrooms. They just wanted one restroom. Now, how many, no, I'm not going to ask you. I don't want to go into a restroom where the girls are there. And I can guarantee you more than that, the girls do not want to go in a restroom where we're there. Amen. Because using the same toilet, will be, you to, it just don't work out too well. And so it's just not right. And that raised this ugly head, what, two, three years ago again. That thing raised it again with that transgender thing. You, uh, you get up in the morning and decide what sex you are. Stop it. Stop it. It's so serious today that the mere sound that this anti-authority movement is so serious today. That the mere sound of let me I'm gonna I'm gonna swear from the pulpit. Male-driven, uh, male-led church makes young girls shriek and their moms boil. The credibility of God's so-called leaders has taken a beating because of not only those movements. But also the failure of certain high-profile leadership in Christianity, and there has been no denial of that. There has been some abuses. So, because of those abuses, should we cast off all trust in leadership because the failure of a few? Well, Hebrews thirteen was written. I don't see any. I don't see that it is underwritten anywhere. If a few of these people fail and do wrong, you shouldn't trust anybody after that. Do you see that anywhere in the Bible? No. Should we ignore the clear biblical injunctions about those who who we should allow, allow to rule over us? Should we throw off God's plan for keeping order and progression in the local church by having leadership? Did you know your pastor is called a soul watcher? I'm a soul watcher. Uh, that's what Chris Barrows now is, is a soul watcher. Uh, pretty soon we're going to have uh, Mr. T. That's Thomas. Mr. T will be ordained by the grace of God in about a year, and he'll become a official soul watcher. Uh, but Jesus is the chief soul watcher. And all the under-soul watchers answer to the number one soul watcher, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's a chief shepherd. And we are called of God, appointed of God, to be part of his leadership of the local church, which is the visible church of his body here on earth. Uh, Christ is the only suitable sacrifice. He's the only one really qualified to die for our sins. He was the only perfect one. He was the only one who could have saved us by his blood. He is the shepherd, the pastor. Uh, He is the one who watches over us, and those those who are pastors watch over each other. But Jesus is the chief among among all of them. These pastors, uh, they're mentioned here in chapter 13, are to keep the flock that, that has been purchased by the Lord Jesus' blood. Ooh, that's big because I have to give an answer, and pastors have to give an answer for the deeds they do here Uh, based on what was purchased by our Savior, too, my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. But the prime duty uh, of of a pastor of a local church is to be a soul watcher. That's why in verse 17 it says, they watch for your souls as they that must give an account. What's the word watch mean? It means to be sleepless and kept awake. You don't know how true that is. You don't understand, and will never and could never understand, how involved your pastor, soul watcher, is in the duties that God has given him. Uh, How affected he is by your actions, by your words, uh, by your responses to the place where many times he is sleepless and kept awake watching, as it were, over your soul. God has assigned his his men to watch out for the welfare of his people. Uh, That's pretty hard to do if people will not do the few following things that I'm going to mention. Number one, Identify a God's soul watcher. You cannot and will not be a good member of a local church if you don't believe that the pastor of that church, I'm going to call him a soul watcher, is who he should be. You with me by that. Now, if you're looking for a perfect soul watcher, forget it. Forget it. If you're looking for a human soul watcher that's called of God and empowered by God, but not perfect by far, then you'll be okay, right? Somebody does not have to be perfect to have authority. Secondly, you need to give them the authority that they need to do the job. The Bible says submit to them. Submit to them. What is submit to them? That means you give authority to those that have rule over you. You say, what do you mean? Did you know that you've given the local police department authority? What do you mean? Well, when they say something, you obey them. When they say pull over, you pull over. When they say uh, stop, you stop, right? That is giving them the authority. You Because you, what you see going on in the United States right now with all this burn and everything is when they say, we don't believe those people are worthy of the authority that we've given them, and we're going to take that authority back, and we're going to act like we have no authority. That's what you're seeing going on. That's what happens sometimes when one of those in authority fails like we saw on TV uh, when that guy was on that guy's neck or whatever and how that ever worked out. But, uh, and so I'm not saying it's justified, but it's what happens sometimes when those in authority will fail because those under them will not submit to them. So number one, you have to realize God set up a system of leadership. Number two, that that leadership is to be given authority by those under them and this authority is necessary to function. Uh, let me give an example about deacons. We vote deacons. Now, who were deacons? Deacons, the word dekanos means to serve. Deacons are helpers of the soul watcher. In other words, they, they, are, they are those who are, are close to him, and they, they give him advice, they, they encourage him, they're under the submission of him, but they're also, in some degree, making sure that he's not a charlatan. They have some responsibility as deacons to make sure that the soul watcher isn't fleecing the sheep. You with me? And that he is who he said he is, called of God, a man of God, this willing to lay their life down for the sheep. And now, as, and and that's a fun, one of the functions of deacons is to help do the business of the church. The Bible says where there's a multitude of of of. Uh, there's safety in a multitude of, of advisors. I can't get the verse in my head right now. There's wisdom, there's safety and wisdom in a multitude of, oh, nuts. Yeah, thank you, brother. If I could have heard him, it would have been good, amen. When your soul watcher, it gets about half beef. But there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors, that's it. There's safety in a multitude of counselors, that's actually it. It came to me. So you 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 have these you have these deacons which are in, which how do you get to be a deacon Eventually, the, the the church votes and if I may say promotes certain men of of certain character and proven track record and has, age has something to do with it and wisdom to be their deacons now there's no legitimate new testament church without deacons Don't you let a preacher, don't you let a soul watcher tell you that he don't need deacons. That's like saying you don't need the Bible, because the Bible says you need deacons. One of the first martyrs was a deacon. Philip. I mean, Stephen. And so, man, come on. How do you have a church that's legitimate without deacons? Well, you don't, if you want to obey the Bible. And so a soul watcher needs deacons to be around him and with him, and they all work and putting their hands together, just as this passage talked about, in, in accomplishing the chief shepherd's desire for us. Okay, I'm going somewhere with all this. I'm going somewhere. You hang in there. So you give your deacon's authority. You vote for him. You give your pastor authority because you vote for him. Pastors are voted into a church. They don't come grab a church. Say we're going to take over uh, a church. They come. They preach. They candidate. They, they present what they believe is a vision that God has given them for local church. The local church gets together, discusses it, has a vote on it. Usually, a pastor's got to get at least 60% of the vote, most times 75% of the vote. But personally, I wouldn't want to go to a church with less than 90% of a vote because there's just too much trouble with that other 25% that they voted against him. Just not a good word to go. But So authority is given. That's what I'm trying to get to. So recognize, I think we need to recognize the absolute need for having authority over us. Do not let the word authority turn you off. Authority should bless your soul. Authority is for protection. Authority is to keep chaos away. What's the worst form of government? Chaos. That burning, when those those people in Minneapolis decided they had no authority over them anymore, what did they do? Were they good citizens? Did they respect the right of other people's property? No. They burned other people's property that had nothing to do with it, that were not attached to the problem. They went and stole. Tell me how stealing TVs helps, helps out. Tell me how stealing, ransacking somebody's, Somebody's business is going to help out that guy that died. But that's what happens when people get out from under authority. And guess what happens when a church says, we don't have authority. They do the same thing. The church splits. It comes up into four or five different pieces. The the bus ministry quits. The door-to-door quits. The nursing home quits. The evangelism quits. The track passing out stops. And the thing shrinks down to a little handful of people. Missions program, all them missionaries, that's over. And what really happens is the church becomes way, way less effective when it's disorganized and not under authority. So authority is a good thing. Authority allows you to have organization and have uh, implementation and get her done, as they would say, get the job done. So it's not a bad thing. Good authority is great, wonderful. Obviously, bad authority happens once in a while, but it is the exception not the rule. So you must realize you have authority given to you for your own profitableness, for the profitableness of the work. And so determined on the success of the the soul watcher, if your pastor is trying to watch a bunch of renegades, he's not going to be able to do it. If, if your soul watcher is trying to watch a bunch of disobedient, self willed, anarcho people, it's going to grieve him to his soul. He's going to die early of, of uh, the big one uh, because of the stress and, and the, the sleeplessness that he, he incurred over trying to. I've known three, my heart goes out to some pastors, some soul watchers that are p- trying to pastor a, a group of anti authority. Of people that are just picking on them, uh, shooting at them, and you know what happens? Pretty soon you don't have a pastor. Pretty soon you don't have a pastor. Do you know there are thousands of churches around America who do not have pastors right now? And a church without a pastor, I've been around long enough to observe they don't do well. They just don't do well. Uh, they'll fight among themselves and disintegrate usually. Uh, Recently, McGregor Baptist lost their pastor. They never replaced him. And they're not doing well. They're not going to do well uh, without without one. And and so your soul watcher, if if he's trying to pastor a group of people that do not understand these verses that I read to you in the 13th chapter, so how important are these three verses? It's life and death important. To remember them that have rule over you. Obey them that have rule over you. Uh, uh, submit to them that have rule over you. Why? They watch for your well-being, your soul. They look out for you. This is here to this. What we have here at the gospel, the facilities we have, and what we've done is because we've had a group of people that have been willing to do those things to their and with their pastor. So, man, it's it's life and death important. I think of the, of, of the uh, just getting in a broader sense the importance of leadership in World War II. World War II, we had leaders like MacArthur. He was he watched over the, if I may say it in a, in a material way he watched over the souls of a lot of men. Patton, we had a great leader in Patton. We had a great leader in a guy called Eisenhower. Uh, England had their had their leader Churchill uh, that was. They weren't in it for themselves. They they weren't in it to make a bunch of money. They weren't in it for the ego trip. I think we got a president right now that he's not in it for anybody but us. He doesn't need the money. He doesn't even take the salary. I mean, for all his faults, what I see is a man that wants to make America great again. And that is the word God also. Because you'll notice there's prayer at the White House there has never been in my lifetime. There's a mention of God in speeches that I've never heard before. There's the honoring of certain biblical principles that I've never seen before. Amen? I think we got a good soul watcher. we got a good leadership. And boy, everything rises and falls on leadership. We need to pray for our soul watcher, pray for our leaders. So you can't have a good church. You can't have what God wants for you without a good soul watcher who leads the battle and keeps the order. So that consequently, what I'm saying is, I'm a soul man. You a little sleepy out there. So when you come to the understanding of the absolute necessity for success in your Christian life circles around the success of your soul watcher. The more successful your soul watcher can be, the more successful you can be. It'll help you and facilitate you. Three times in this short chapter 13, he says, the word rule over you i know that you've seen abuses and i keep going back to that because people get so turned off by that phrase rule not like that it's rule like good it's good when you have a dispute they settle it when you got three guys want to do something one guy gets to do it the other two don't get i mean you know it creates peace what rulership does is create peace between brothers and brother, peace is the platform of what you and I do. And when we, when we, peace is, is the platform for prosperity. That's what I'm trying to say. And in Minneapolis and Minnesota and all these other places where you've lost peace, you're also going to lose prosperity, brother. I think I went back in my mind thinking of the soul watchers I've had. I was under Pastor Allman back in Elkhart, Indiana, when I lived there. God bless Pastor Allman. You know what he did for me? One day, he, one day, he, one day he, he, took, he came to me, and I was 18 years old, maybe just 19. I was just 19 one month. And I had a little baby, and he came to me, and he goes, uh, here's the keys to the bus. I said, what bus? He said, that yellow bus out there? We bought that bus so you could go pick up boys and girls in our neighborhood here, and you're the bus captain. Oh, you're also the bus driver. Oh, you're also the one responsible to keep the bus maintained. I'm like the everything. And I looked at that key, and he says, Son, I want you to be a bus captain. And you don't know how much good he did me. I mean, I, I needed somebody to do that because I wasn't volunteering. But he came over and suggested to me, this is what you need to do. My wife and little baby get in that bus and we go in the neighborhood, some of the worst part of Elkhart. We eventually were bringing 25, regularly 25 little kids to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of those kids are going to be in heaven someday. Ooh, he helped me out. He was my soul watcher. I think of Pastor Stoke. At Boulevard Baptist Church in Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, we were in college in my early 20s, and Brother Stolt came to me one day and he said, He did me a favor. I was coming to church like you are, and he came to me and he says, Bill, I want you to do jail ministry. When? He says, Sunday afternoon, after church, Sunday afternoon for three hours. I want you to go down to jail and do jail ministry, talk to the inmates about Jesus. They let you there in Greenville go sell, to sell, to sell, which is a good thing. And these were temporary people. These were people that were there less than six months. And so I'd never been to jail, and I'd never been really in a jail. And so I thought, well, my mother always said, trying to keep me out of jail, I guess that's over. So I, I took, and I, I said, okay, Pastor, if you want me to do that, remember, submit yourself, remember them, submit to them. He said, do jail. I don't know why he picked me. Go to jail. So I went to jail brother, and a man some of the best, most profitable, most growing times in my 20s was spent in Greenville, South Carolina jail. Not many people can say that. But I honestly led many, many of those inmates to Christ. I believe they're real. I think they had to go to jail to get serious enough to think about God. I think some people got to go to jail to get saved. But, brother, if you got to go to jail to get saved, it's worth going. It's worth going because it's eternal. Jail is temporary. And so they, they get saved. I had Dr. Anderson, Richard Anderson, at a Community Baptist Church, now called Briarcliff Baptist Church, up the road here. He came to me, and he said, uh, Bill, he said, I would like to get you ordained and help you to be ordained. I said, really? You don't even know me. He says, yeah, but I, I've met you, and I, I would like to help you. He gave me a phone call when I graduated from Bob Jones. He was the only one and the first one to call me after I graduated. I told my wife, what am I going to do? She said, what are we going to do? Where are we going to go? What's going to happen? I just graduated from college. He calls me up and he says, "Uh, I would like you to come here and work with me as my assistant, part of the Bible Institute, and I'd like to eventually ordain you. I did all of that. I submitted myself. He was my soul watcher. He was helping me. I think of... uh, Pastor Harold Seitler up in Greenville, Tabernacle Baptist Church, Greenville, South Carolina. I was three and a half years a member there. Oh, how the brother helped me. I think of Pastor McKinney coming here. I was 28 years old, and he was 60. He was an old man over the hill. And 60 years old, and, and I'm 28, and, and uh, he, you know, he came to me, and sometimes he would come to me, and, and Pastor McKinney was very influential in my life, very influential. And he would come to me and says, son, you could never be a senior pastor the way you are now. That hurt my feelings. I got one or two feelings left. And he said, I said, "What what do you mean? He says, oh, you could never be a senior pastor. You're far too harsh. Harsh. I thought that meant conviction. He said, brother, I don't think our job is to kill the sheep. I says, it stops a lot of problems. He said, no, you don't have the compassion that you've got to have. I was assistant pastor, but that's a whole lot different than senior pastor. And so he helped me. I submitted to him and started praying about that and say God I, I, I think maybe I think you know fun, the Bible the Bible, uh, the Bible doesn't say this it, there's a truism out there the fundamentalists kill their wounded and I said well, I, I don't want to be a preacher that kills my wounded I want I want to help my wounded heal and, and do better and and get over it and go on that's what I want to do he helped me submitted to him listened to him remembered what he said, and got better. And I know I'm just a man. I got feet of clay. I make all kinds of mistakes. But there are times that God, through me, speaks to you. Paul said that when he says, I beseech you by God. As though God, he said, as though God did beseech you by me, be reconciled to God. That's what he said. What does that mean? He says, Paul says, sometimes God works through me to talk to you. Now, I know he can go directly to you. He's got no problem going directly to you, but sometimes he doesn't choose to go directly to you. And sometimes, men know this, sometimes your wife, sometimes God goes through your wife to get to your old hard head. And the man said, (laughs) sometimes a, a wife will whisper something in your ear that'll save you from a lot of hurt. And you better recognize who's talking to you. It's not your wife. It's God through your wife. And it goes from your husband to your wife too now. And it goes from your pastor to you. And it goes to the deacons to the pastor. And it goes from the pastor to the deacons. And God uses people to help you through life as you understand His system. So, I thank God that I've been under soul watchers that were legitimate, real, honest soul watchers for God. They cared about me. That's why you, God has... And by the way, the Bible says that the pastors are gifts to the church. (laughs) or picture myself as a gift, you know. But if you ever do without a pastor, you'll understand what it was. Some in this room have had that experience. What a horror it is not to have a God called, God ordained, God chosen soul watcher to help you.